Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Forward Podcast. I am your host, Elena Davis. Thanks so much for spending a little bit of your day here with me. Our guest for today's episode is Dr. Clayton Bell. He is a board-certified family and integrative medicine physician at UT Medical Center. And as you'll hear, he has a super interesting background. He has served patients in all different parts of the country, as well as different parts of the world, all of which has helped shape his perspective on health and healing. And I think you are going to really learn a lot from him and just really enjoy his perspective on health and how the body works and how all different aspects of life really play into that. So I'm so happy to share this interview with you. Here is my conversation with Dr. Bell. Hey friends, I'm Elena Davis, your integrative health coach, and I'm so glad you're here. This is the Health Forward podcast where each week we will be talking about different things that move us forward toward a healthier and more fulfilling life. Thanks so much for listening in. Hey friends, welcome back to the Health Forward Podcast. I'm your host, Elena Davis, and I'm so glad that you joined me here today and so thankful for our special guest for today's episode, Dr. Clayton Bell from UT Medical Center. Dr. Bell, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Elena. I am very happy to be here. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so excited. Um, Dr. Bell and I worked together several years ago, so I got to know him well during that time and just love your perspective on health and nutrition and all of that. So I'm glad you're sharing that with our listeners today. And today we're going to be talking about using food as medicine and how that plays into our health, how what we eat and how we um, treat our bodies has such a direct effect on our health. But before we get into that, will you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, kind of how you got into this um, world of integrative medicine and and why you feel it's so important? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I'd be honored to. Um, It's a bit serendipitous. I didn't start out this direction. I actually grew up um, on a, in a rural cow farm in the middle of central Arkansas. So, I mean, I grew up eating cheeseburgers and, you know, yeah. my mom didn't cook much. So a homemade meal was Tony's pizza with a can of mushrooms on top. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah, we had, a, we had a fridge full of Cokes of every flavor you could imagine. And I thought it was normal to have two cavities every time you went to the dentist. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely did not start off on this trajectory yeah. at all. I think that's like most of us. Yeah. yeah that's and, and probably the um, the yo-yo or the rubber band back to want to be healthy when you realize that you're not healthy um, created a, a lot of impetus to, to go this direction. Um, when I was in college, even too, you know, I was in college, undergrad, you know, I was um, scholastics were not my top priority at that point. And I mean, I would wake up every day with a Newport short cigarette and a Mountain Dew. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, with a lot of just just trying to figure out where I fit in the world and who I was and those kind of right. things. Um, I kind of realized that, Hey, this isn't necessarily the lifestyle that I want to lead. Uh, yeah. <laughs> long-term it's not really sustainable. I right. want to do something more with my life. Um, so I wound up, uh, switching schools and I was an animal science major for a while. And then I wanted to be a veterinarian cause I love animals. Um, but then I worked with some kids that were actually handicapped and I realized, um, how misaligned my priorities are or were that makes sense you know these kids had like autism and and some other um some other you know disabilities and and they were just so grateful to literally be you know kicking a soccer ball or playing t-ball and then i thought about like all the things that i worried about that just really didn't matter yeah and i realized that i want to surround myself with the situations and people that could help 
keep my eyes kind of on the prize, but what's really important in life. So I wound up going to medical school. And then when I was there, during my fourth year of medical school, I actually went and volunteered in Haiti after the big earthquake in January 2010. And I uh, just really fell in, spent a month down there, um, just fell in love with the people and the energy. And, you know, they were so poor physically, but I felt like in a lot of ways they were way richer than, 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 than Americans. Yeah. Um, you know, they had, they had really tight knit communities and they had a really, really strong spirituality. And I actually honestly wanted more of that in my, in my life per se. You know, I wanted, I wanted that, um, just that rawness of life and, and life not to be so controlled and filtered. And, um, so I actually moved down there for two years and helped reopen and abandoned medical clinic in the mountains with an organization called Humanity First. And another physician who was actually down there um, getting his master's of public health and starting a community health workers program. So we really double teamed. And the second year I was there, I built a, a primary school down there, which we still have. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, it's really cool. Called the Bone Samaritan Primary School. So that's that's exciting. Um, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, so anyway, so I was down there for two years. That was a great experience. And I think I really started to learn then how important education is. Mm-hmm. It was interesting down there, you know, people in the mountains would grow all these amazing carrots and beets and just delicious, healthy food. Uh, but they didn't realize the value of it. So they would sell it for like nickels and dimes. And then they would go buy like junk food yeah. that had been imported from like America, mm-hmm. or like white noodles and, you know, like soda pops and stuff like that. Wow. You know, it's just mind blowing. And then education really hit home there when cholera broke out and you would see people literally going to the bathroom in the river and then someone a couple hundred yards down getting the water oh, and goodness. drinking the water. And yeah, they didn't, they didn't really understand germ theory. Right. And so they didn't understand why everyone was getting sick and, you know, dying from the fecal oral contamination. And so, you know, education became so paramount. And when I started doing family medicine residency up in Maine, I came back two years and moved to Maine. And then I realized that honestly, Americans are really no more clued in regarding nutrition than Haitians were clued in regarding why they were getting cholera. You know, they, they had people would come to the emergency room with a heart attack and they were like, well, I was healthy yesterday and today I have a heart attack. And it's like, no, you weren't. Total disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. Total disconnect. So they just had no idea. No one ever told them, Hey, don't poop in the water. Right. Don't eat fast food, you know? Right. And so it's like, what, what I got tired of giving people prescription medications, honestly. And I was like, well, this is not a very good life. You know, if I wanted to be a, just literally, you know, give pharmaceuticals or give drugs, like, gosh, I could have done that, you know, um, honestly, you know, probably not gone through so much school for it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I wanted to find a way to be able to help people empower themselves to be healthy. And I found that if you get people eating healthy, you know, decrease their stress, get them sleeping, get them more physically active, they're actually able to come off of a lot of their medications. Yeah. And then their spouses got healthier and their kids got healthier. And so, to me, that was just the name of the game and inspiring. So I went to University of Kansas to a fellowship so I could learn more in it. Because honestly, I thought that I might get my medical license taken away if I treated people without prescribing drugs as the mainstay. Um, and that's turned out not to be the case at all. People sure. love it. Right. But, um, you know, you're scared. You don't know any better. And you're like, nope. You just don't know. <laughs> yeah, but nobody else is doing this. Everybody else is giving drugs. Can I treat people by just changing their diet around? It's like, yeah, it's a lot more effective, actually. Yeah. Gosh, that's great. And so how long have you been here? You t- um, going, yeah, a little over five years now. That's crazy. I know, it goes by so fast. It does go by so fast. So 
you've, you've alluded to this a little bit from, you know, what you're saying in your background, but it should for us, because we've been in this world for a little bit, it, to us, it seems like it should be common sense that what you eat has a direct effect on your health. But as you said, for so many people, that seems to be a disconnect. So can you give us a little bit, like, why, why is that so important? How, why does it have such a direct impact? Yeah, that's a great question. Great question, Lena. So, I mean, I think the easiest thing to think about is just consider food essentially like the intramolecular building blocks of your body. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything in your body is going to literally be turning over in the coming days, weeks, months, and years. You know, literally in two or three years from now, you know, some of your neural um, cells, like nerve nerve cells might be the same and some of your heart cells might be the same. Pretty much everything else in your body is going to have replaced itself. Yeah. You know, and, and all those uh, essentially uh, organic uh, molecules are, are going to come via food, you know, which eventually came via, you know, animal or plant, which eventually came via photosynthesis, which eventually came from the sun, mm-hmm. the stars, you know, so literally it's kind of cool we're made out of stardust. But, you know, the way that we're going to basically build our bodies and the future of our health is going to be largely dependent on the, the nutrients that we use. So it's kind of like, you know, if you I don't know if you ever played with Legos when you were a kid. But if you've got a really awesome Lego set, you can build a beautiful castle. And if you have a bunch of random, gankety, um, half-broken pieces, you're not going to build a very nice yeah. you know, foundation. Nevertheless, anything beautiful on top of it. So it's kind of the way food works. And, you know, it's amazing that our bodies perform as well as they do when we don't take better care of them, when we eat like a standard American diet. That's really a testament to how incredibly resilient humans are that we can even survive by eating all this, yeah. you know, near processed food. Yeah. I know it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like on one hand, it is amazing that our bodies can adapt and be resilient. On the other hand, it's like, I kind of wish there was a direct, you know, like for some people it would be like <laughs> yeah, I mean, easier for the light bulb to turn on if they felt a sure. direct effect of what sure. they were putting in their bodies. You, that's a great point. Uh, if, if you don't mind, I, I'll expand on that. So it's really interesting too. I think a lot of it is desensitization. So for instance, back in college, I used to smoke, okay? And I drink a lot of alcohol. And I don't, I don't recommend people doing that. I, I don't drink much now and, and I definitely don't smoke uh, at all. But anyway, at that time, I was obviously living an extremely unhealthy lifestyle, but it didn't bother me to smoke a cigarette. You know, it didn't bother me to consume, overconsume alcohol. But now if I tried to drink a six pack and have a cigarette, I would cough and feel horrible. Right. You know, and it's, it's the same way when people eat fast food several times a week, it doesn't make them sick. But, you know, as well as I do, if you cut out Cokes, if you cut out processed sugar from your diet, if you cut out highly refined, you know, um, foods made of white flour and really greasy, you know, deeply fried foods, if you try eating them again, you will get sick. Yeah. And that's a, that's, a, that's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, your body's central intelligence has woken up. But most of us, I think, are so numb to it because we've done it for so long, we don't even realize. Right. Yeah. And I think I've heard that, too. I've kind of heard that argument of like, well, I don't really want to start eating that way because then I'm going to be like you and have reaction every time that I eat junk or something. Yeah. And yeah. I, I get that. But also, that's your body communicating with you. And sure. when you're eating all that all the time, you're silencing it. And so what mm-hmm. else is it trying to tell you that you're not hearing? Yeah, no, totally. It's, you know, the body innately is so intelligent. It'll tell us pretty much everything we need to do. But, you know, over time, yeah, we we do, we kind of drown out that signal. But, you know, I tell people too, it's like, yeah, so maybe there's an adjustment period, right? Like, oh, you miss your Cokes or, you know, you miss your candy, but it doesn't take long and you start feeling so much better. Your energy just raises. 
And then when you do it again, that's fine. It's not like it's necessarily a bad thing, but it's going to kind of knock you off of that, of that high that you're like, I was really feeling healthy then. Right. You know, so it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's, it's easier because it's like positive reinforcement for doing the things that are good for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. So I think when people do start to think about eating healthier, a lot of times based on our culture, their brain just goes to, okay, I need to diet. And so automatically their brain goes to all these different types of diets that are trendy. And so inevitably I get lots of, well, which is the best one? Like, should I be paleo? Should I be vegan? Should I be keto? Should I be, you know, name X trend? And that's kind of what they think. So can you speak to that a little bit about what is the best for people to do? Yeah, that's a great question. No, so I'm I'm not a big fan of like diets per se. Um, I don't think diets are sustainable just by their very nature. I'm a big fan of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So I think what you want to do is you want to find foods that are going to serve you and that you can eat for the next, not just week, but month, year, decade of your life. And whether you decide you want to be vegan or, or keto or somewhere in between, you know, the... Diets all have, you know, similar characteristics that everyone can agree upon. You know, if you look at, you know, the best research I say is probably on the uh, Mediterranean style diet, you know, and components of that pervade, you know, whether it's veganism or even like true keto. I mean, keto's kind of gotten warped, you know, and so is paleo to a degree to kind of become like a modified Atkins. And that's not supposed to be what it is. I mean, if you actually look at the people doing ketogenic research for cancer and everything, I mean, it's still 90% plant-based. Wow. You know, they're, they're utilizing healthy fats from plants. They're utilizing nuts and seeds and oils and avocados and olives and all those things. They're, it's not bacon and sausage for breakfast. You know, that's yeah. bacon and cheese all day. Yeah. That's people like making money off of you. Don't, don't, don't fall into that. That's no, no diet thinks that's healthy. Um, but you know, I think really it's just, you know, like if, let's say you're seventh day Adventist, you know, what have you, and you, you know, and being vegetarian is, is really going to be part of your, you know, your culture. And that's right. makes a lot of sense. You know, let's say that you're, um, you know, you have healthy cultures that have grew up on, on vastly different diets, whether it's like, you know, Mesoamerican, you know, eating like, you know, maize or corn or the Inuit, you know, eating, you know, well blubber, you know, the, the, the big thing that all all diets or really like healthy, you know, nutritional plans agree on is it's all real food. Right. So I always tell people, you know, if you're growing food that grows out of the earth or off of a tree or even occasionally um, walks or swims around and you're doing, you know, really um, clean sources of that. So that would be like organic grass fed, you know, pasture raised, wild caught, you know, all those things. Um, You already have an A right there. And now if you decide you want to go paleo or vegan or South Beach or Mediterranean or whatever, I mean, now you're just like icing on the cake, you know, no pun intended. Yeah. You're doing great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's such a great point. And I, I really try to drive that home with my clients as well. Like just focus on real food. Like if yeah. you can pull out so much processed mm-hmm. stuff and start there, you're already going to feel Absolutely. so much better. Yeah. You just don't realize how bad you actually feel. Like you're normal. Right. Your baseline is not what it's going to be once you take that step out. Definitely. I think that's the top thing, you know, because I, you know, I, I used to, I, I was vegetarian and vegan for a long time. And I thought that was the way everybody should be, 
you know, I think that's our bias, right? Like we think everyone should be like us. So I think diet really becomes like a religion. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? And so we try to like advocate it and, and spread it to everyone else around us, um, which is an interesting phenomenon within itself. But that being said, um, kind of my personal journey, I actually developed some irritable bowel syndrome, probably from chronic stress and being in the medical field, what have you. And so my main um, protein source, legumes, became can be very irritating. Yeah, very irritating. So even though they're healthy foods, they were not serving me at all. So I, I, there's a big disconnect there, and I see it too. You know, I'll see um, little 80 year old women who weigh 90 pounds. They're trying to be vegan, and I'm like, not a, you're not a good candidate for being vegan. You know, uh, but then I'll see other people who are like trying to go like no carb diet, you know, they're trying to do tons of meat and, you know, they might be like, you know, not a good candidate for that either. You know, so it's like, I think you just got to find the right nutritional profile for the person and their goals and their belief system, you know, and, and respect that and honor that because you can you can get healthy foods no matter what, you know, category you fall into for sure. Right. Yeah. And doing something that works for you, you're much more likely yes. to stick to it Yes, than trying yes. to just, you know, become very, yeah. like you said, almost religious about this certain kind of mm-hmm. diet that may not actually be best for you just because it worked for your friend or because you saw yeah. an influencer oh. on Instagram say so, you know, that's yeah, yeah. a health coach. That's my like, pet peeve. I'm like, no, that's not the best diet for everyone. Stop saying that. Yeah, no, there's no, I totally agree. There's no best diet for everybody, you know, and even different phases in our life. True. So, you know, when we're, when we're babies, obviously our diet's very different than when we're kids and now versus more like, you know, as we age and, you know, become older adults. I mean, the foods we need may actually very well change even for us. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this phrase food as medicine. So it's mm-hmm. kind of trendy in certain worlds, but I think mm-hmm. it's also a little bit um, elusive. Like what exactly are you talking about with that? What exactly does that mean? So can you maybe give us a little bit of example or explain that a little bit? Sure. 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 So it's definitely not a new concept. I mean, it goes back to Hippocrates, you know, kind of the father of modern medicine. And I think it's really interesting. So I think you can use it in a lot of different contexts, right? So food could literally be medicine. Like you can literally eat turmeric, you know, as a spice or ginger, you know, and those spices are going to have a lot of anti-inflammatory properties, which can, you know, decrease pain as a lot, you know, if you have arthritis, um, you know, I, I use a lot of those, you know, um, supplements, but especially, you know, foods, if people get them in their diet, that's always the best way to do it. I I'm always, you know, would recommend you get it in your diet versus a supplement if you're able to, sure. you know, as a baseline. But, you know, it could be something more specific too. Like one that I see a lot is actually soy products and breast cancer. So there's so much misinformation out there. And so many, I guess, doctors were miseducated back in the day to avoid, tell your patients to avoid soy if you have breast cancer. But I mean, the studies very, very, very clearly show um, that if you want to prevent breast cancer or if you've had breast cancer, one of the very best, not the best food you can possibly eat is actually organic soy products. Wow. So whether that's organic unsweetened soy milk every day or tofu, tempeh, edamame, what have you. And so I'm always trying to get patients to essentially you know, usually eat less processed foods, obviously. And in general, for most people, you know, eat more plants, you know, less of the meat and everything. And then trying to get them on phytoestrogens, which are actually good because they literally preferentially bind to the beta estrogen receptor instead of the alpha estrogen receptors. They actually downregulate breast proliferation and growth. Um, they actually work like tamoxifen, which is a medicine that some of your patients have had breast cancer. No one has. It's premenopausal. 
your doctor is going to put you on tamoxifen. Well, soy actually kind of works that way too. Wow. Which is really cool. Yeah. Um, now it's not a substitute, so don't go thinking you can just eat a bunch of soy and sure. not take medicine. I, I wish it was that effective, you know, but we don't have studies that show any of that. So, you know, obviously you use all these things. Food is medicine in conjunction with, right, scientifically validated, right. Um, you know, um, treatments as well. But there's tons of stuff like that out there. I mean, and, and there's some foods that, you know, are toxic. Like, you know, there's obviously connections between, say, like processed meat and colorectal cancer. Right. You know, if you go to Sub-Saharan Africa, they don't even have colorectal cancer. It's not even a thing there. Right. But they're also eating 100 grams of fiber a day. So if you eat 100 grams of fiber a day, you probably eat what you want and they don't eat much meat. Right. Um, same way as like, you know, dairy products look like they're a major risk factor for prostate cancer. Um, and it's not conclusive yet, but I mean, all signs point to that. So, you know, any man I have with prostate cancer, I'm like, you drinking milk, you doing dairy, let's get off that immediately. You know, so there's things like that. And then there's different foods that help detoxify estrogen from the body. You know, things like they have iodine, like seaweed. Um, could be really good for that. And there's other foods that are natural aromatase inhibitors, even like mushrooms. And so I mean, you, you, there's a lot of foods that have, you know, overlap to pharmaceuticals we made. I was talking about with an associate this morning, you know, even like if someone has cancer and anti angiogenesis diet, um, and you can look that up on YouTube. I think there's a doctor named Dr. Lee, I think is the one that wrote the book on that, but it's great. It's, it's lots of berries and nuts and things like that. But that will all those foods will help prevent, uh, you know, blood vessels from growing into those cancers and those cancers growing and metastasizing. So food is definitely utilized as a as a medicine, I believe. OK, so what are some common issues that maybe you run into as far as maybe women in your practice or in your past experience that you see that they really are struggling with with their health issues? And can you speak to that? Like what is some things they should think about or maybe address? Yeah, Great question. And I really appreciate you asking that. Um, yeah, I know before the interview, you know, I found out that, you know, most of your, your audience is, you know, are women. Mm-hmm. And I think that as medical professionals, we have not done a very good job supporting women throughout all the incredible roles that, that you play in life. Um, so I see a lot of things that I think are are there that are super common that are go unsaid. A lot of times that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. So most of my patient population is is women, definitely. Um, you know, some of the most common conditions I see because I am in the cancer institute, I see a, I see a ton of breast cancer. I see that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you an interesting insight. I haven't met a woman yet. Okay, I've met literally one or two who have been diagnosed with breast cancer and haven't had some major stressor in the previous six months to their diagnosis or haven't been under some chronic stress load leading up to their diagnosis. So that just blows me away. So it doesn't mean if, if you're stressed, you're going to get breast cancer. It doesn't mean that at all, but it definitely, uh, having a high level of stress is going unresolved and not addressed definitely leaves us vulnerable to any condition. It could be the cold, it right. could be COVID, right. you know, it could be a heart attack. It could, Breast cancer is one of them, right? So I think that's something real important is like, you know, uh, the other thing I think would be super, super, super important for women, and especially I think this is important for moms, right? Um, but it's self-care. And yeah. we, we have, a, we have a, a kiddo now. We have a toddler named Luna who I just absolutely adore, and she's 19 months old. But, you know, I hear from my wife and I hear from the other moms, like in our friend group, you know, there, there's a lot of, and I feel it too. I feel it as like a dad guilt, but there's a lot of mom guilt. Like you're supposed to be there 24 seven and you're supposed to be able to do everything for this kid. 
but it's just not physiologically possible to be there 24 seven for your kid and work, especially if, if you're working a job too, and be this like partner slash lover slash spouse to your, you know, to your partner, you know, mm-hmm. and be, and now it's like, you know, a lot of folks in our age are getting into where their parents are getting older. You know, my mom's six turned 70. So now they're like yeah. caregivers for their parents too. And mm-hmm. their own personal self-care and things they love, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, running or biking or drawing or reading or having coffee with friends, it all goes by the wayside, you know, and that's, that's, that's nice. That's sweet, but it doesn't actually work. It's not sustainable. And so what happens is after that goes on for days, weeks, months, and years, you wind up coming to my clinic and then I see you for chronic adrenal fatigue, right? Or an autoimmune disease or cancer, you know? So even if you're not doing it for yourself, you know, which should be enough, right? But I get it. I don't either. You know, I, 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 we all want to like be these like, you know, martyred versions of ourselves because we think it's the right thing to do. But it's like you have to you have to take time for yourself. You have to get away. You have to find pleasure and you get your partner, get your husband to step in or, or a parent or a friend or a babysitter, anybody to step in and give you a break because you need it sustainably. And if you just look at it from a pure mathematical perspective, let's say you're given 100 percent right now. But at this pace, you're going to burn out in five, 10 or 20 years. OK, let's say you pull back and you do like 80 percent. Right. So now you're slacking, but you're doing like tons of self-care. Right. So you're you know, you're giving yourself, you know, a bath in the evening. You're giving yourself an hour every day to go to the gym and exercise or go for a walk with friends or what have you. But now you can do this for 30 or 40 or 50 years. You know, then look at the number difference. How, who's going to be in the game longer and who's going to be happier doing it? Too. So, I mean, I think self-care is huge, and I don't think as medical professionals, we do a good job um, supporting women in that, and especially, I think, moms, because being a mom is tough, especially right now during COVID. So any of you young moms out there, my heart, my heart and prayers just totally go out to you and hang in there, you know, stay close to family and your close friends, you know, and help them support you. But I think it's really easy to get isolated in that. So... Those are things I see. And then I see a lot of hormonal issues, mm-hmm. but they're almost always precipitated by chronic stress. Yeah. Now, obviously, there's going to be like menopause. And so you're going to have a huge you know, hormonal shift there. But when there's when I see women and their hormones are way off in their 20s and 30s, I mean, it's it's stress. Yeah. You know, the adrenals get off and the adrenal off, you know, you'll see things in like thyroid and sex hormones. Uh, so that's super, super common. So I think tracing it back and addressing that. And then for a lot of people, and I didn't know this until, and I don't know how much exposure, you know, you've, you've had to this, but I'm sure you've talked to some of your folks, um, but like about like, you know, adverse childhood events. Yeah. And I, I used to just be totally oblivious to that. And I think that's just part of being a privileged upper middle class white male from the South. You know, I just totally ignorant. You know, what even a part of, you know, my life per se. Uh, and then I start running these ACE scores on my patients and I start hearing stories that I never would have imagined. And I have women in my clinic. I had one last week. She was 76 years old, I think. And she basically said, I've never told anyone this my whole life. You know, and that's not uncommon, but right. I didn't think it happened that much. It was probably just because I wanted to like pull the wool over my eyes and shut my ears and not know about it. But I see women every single day who have been molested or raped or physically or sexually abused in childhood 
nevertheless, as teenagers or in, even in their relationships as young adults or even in a marriage. But I see, I mean, on average, I'm seeing at least probably one or two people I see a day have had that experience. Um, it, and it manifests itself 20, 30, 40 years later. You know, those, those, those traumas get stuck in the body. So I think anything we can do to support you, if you've gone through that, like you're not alone. I swear to God, you are not alone. Come see me. Tell your primary care doctor. Tell a friend. Like let 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 us collectively support you because we're all in this together. Yeah. So just just to know that that is a very common experience and everything you're feeling from that, you know, you, it's okay. You should be feeling that. You know, you are validated, mm-hmm. and and people out there do care, and there are resources to help. So yeah, because I'm such a huge proponent of therapy for mm-hmm. that reason, not sure. just from trauma but also the the emotional stressors you're talking about for that reason, because I, I think there's not been a lot of education about that relationship between like trauma happening or even just chronic stress happening mm-hmm. um, or very intense periods of stress happening and then physical symptoms. You know, mm-hmm. I think people think of, well, yeah, I'm stressed, so I'm tired or I might feel anxious or depressed. And those things are true, but it goes beyond that. I mean, it's like you're Absolutely. saying, seeing things as, as serious as cancer and autoimmune disease. And then, you know, so many of my clients that have hormonal conditions, mm-hmm. just like you're saying, it's usually, it can usually be tied to some kind of emotional, something mm-hmm. that's underlying that's not been addressed and that's not been, you know, worked through. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's, it kind of, it's like, it gets stuck in the body. There's a book I'm trying to remember what the name of it is. I think it's um, The Body Keeps the Score. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's that, an incredible book. Yeah, that, that talks about that exact thing. If you don't confront it, if you don't deal mm-hmm. with it, even if you think, I think a lot of times women think like they've dealt with it. You know, like I've got it handled. I don't want to relive it. I don't want to bring it up. I don't want to work through it per se because that was 20 years ago or 30 years ago. But yeah, what they yeah. aren't understanding is that their body is reacting to it. It's still there. No, it totally. I mean, there's that cellular memory and it's really interesting. So right now we're actually doing a research study up here at University of Tennessee Medical Center. And a couple of my colleagues, um, Dr. Allison Eaton, who's over in the department of OBGYN, uh, Jill her. Maples. Yeah. yeah, isn't she great? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, Allison. Jill Maples, who's our big researcher over here in OBGYN. And, and um, Gail Owens, who is actually our instructor, but she teaches these classes called Tension and Trauma Releasing Exercises. And I've had so many patients that have gone and seen Gail um, that, that have had these, these really traumatic histories. Now, it could be a, a car crash. It could be a pelvic uh, procedure mm-hmm. that maybe didn't heal as quick as they wanted. Obviously, a lot of, a lot of abuse and trauma there, yeah. um, too. But what happens a lot of times is, you know, the body holds that tension, right? And it especially holds in iliopsoas muscles, which yeah. are going to be right in the pelvis. And so it's really, really, really common for women to get chronic pelvic pain. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it makes sense, right? Let's say... Um, like this is a you know really say extreme example, but it happens. Let's say a woman was molested in childhood, right? Now she's forty years later, she's in a loving relationship with a man, but if he wants to have sex, of course her body is still going to tighten up right. and likely hurt. I mean, even if she loves him and if he's the nicest man ever, it has nothing to do with that. Right. It's literally the body protecting yeah. itself. Physiological, yeah. Totally physiological. So we're doing a study with women and men too, because I've seen men that have chronic pelvic pain as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're doing a study with people that had chronic pelvic pain, and they can do eight sessions over a four-week period of this TRE. And it's great because it's actually it's, it's free. They actually get paid. They get gift cards for taking part in the study. 
Um, but we just started with our first group of patients right now, and they'll be ongoing over the next year here at UT. Um, I'm going to go ahead and for anyone that's interested in this or knows somebody who has chronic pelvic pain, I'm going to go ahead and throw out my associate's email address, and I hope she doesn't get mad at me for this. <laughs> okay, because I just texted her and I was like, hey, what's the best way for people to contact you? I don't want to give her cell phone number out or yeah. anything, so I think this is a safer bet. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> okay, but her name is Jill Maples, and she is the one that's recruiting folks for the study. And obviously with COVID right now and everything, um, you know, we'll, we'll probably be uh, a little uh, more looking in the months to come sure. as opposed to getting tons of people in right now. But that being said, uh, Jill's email, if you want to go ahead and kind of get on the list and learn more about this, jmaples, J-M-A-P-L-E-S-1 at utmck.edu. Oh, and it looks like her work phone is 865-305-9367. So probably the best thing to do instead of blowing up her email box, uh, unless you're really serious about the study, is to call her work phone. Okay. And 305-9367. And we'd love for you to take part in the study. We're going to try to get at least 24 people over the next year. But, you know, Elena, maybe you can fill it up just this podcast. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add all that to the show notes too, in case you're driving and can't, you know, don't like try to write and drive at the same time. So. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And she just texted me back so that you can email her. Perfect. So that's perfect. Okay. Go email her. Yeah, that's great. And that's so, I cannot wait to see the results of that. Um, that, that sounds like such a great research project to do. It's really good. Yeah. No, we're excited. I mean, we're, we're happy to help people because I mean, there's some of these conditions, you know, whether it's chronic pelvic pain or like fibromyalgia, I see a ton of people with fibromyalgia. Yeah. And there's just, there's no like silver bullet out there. There's no great treatment. So it takes all the things. It takes healthy nutrition, getting good sleep at night, you know, some physical activity, but in some cases, not too much. You are, you got to kind of find that. Right. You got to be careful. Yeah. That sweet spot, you know, and in good positive relationships. Cause I mean, ultimately um, you are going to become what you surround yourself with. Yeah. If that's healthy people, you're going to be healthy. And if it's really negative people, um, you're probably going to develop a pessimistic, um, you know, attitude and, you know, you're going to have um, decreased, you know, levels of, you know, say happy neurotransmitters in your brain and what have you. It changes your physiology dramatically. It is. It is so important. It's so important to think about all the different aspects of your life and how they affect your health. Not, I mean, yes, we want you to think about what you're putting in your body, mm -hmm. but all these other things matter too. It's yeah. not just, you can't just do one thing and forget about the rest of it. And sometimes that feels overwhelming, but it's also a good thing because if you're really weak in one area, you can be really strong sure. in the others and that's going to help you. Absolutely. That's a great point. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us. I know you have patients and you have all kinds of things going on, um, but I think this is going to be so helpful. Awesome. Thanks, Elena. Hey, it's an honor to be here. I really applaud you for doing this podcast and you know, really empowering and educating you know people in the local community, especially women. I just totally applaud you. And, you know, for every, if everyone out there listening to this podcast, thank you for being proactive and taking control of your own health. And, you know, we, we need more people like you in the world. So thanks a lot. Thank you. Is there anything that you want to add as far as is anybody, if they wanted to learn more from you or hear more from you, is there, is there a way that they can do that? Sure. Um, yeah. So I'm up at University of Tennessee Medical Center. You're welcome to give us a call and make an appointment. My phone number up here, I guess our clinic number is 865-971-3539.
And there's, there's quite a few like little videos and everything that have been put up like on YouTube. If you Google my name, Clayton Bell and University of Tennessee Medical Center, you should find some stuff. But I mean, I mean, honestly, though, the truth is like, you're not going to get, you know, it from me or from any other doctor. I mean, you know, read things that inspire you, surround yourself with people that make you a better person, you know, eat foods that make you feel good, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's going to be your ultimate healer, you know, not me or any other doctor, you know, it's uh so I think, you know, have confidence in yourself. You guys, I just love his perspective on how so many different parts of our lives can so directly affect our health. It's not just our genetics or it's not even just what we eat or how many times a week we work out. There's so many different factors that play in. And, you know, like we talked about in the interview, sometimes that feels overwhelming, but it's also so encouraging because while there might be factors that you can't control or maybe because of your schedule or whatever they can't look exactly the way that you think that they should or you want them to but there are other aspects of your life that you can really work on you can really make sure you're getting good quality sleep you can work on stress management you can maybe work on making sure you're in relationships where you feel connected and you're not feeling isolated you know there's these different things that we can do that can have a positive effect on our health. And so I think sometimes we get really caught up in being healthy looks this one particular way. And I just love the way that Dr. Bell explains that it's not like that, that there are so many different aspects and so many different things that we can do to support our health. And so I hope that this episode has helped you learn something. I hope that it has helped you to feel encouraged and to know that you do have some control over your health and your health journey. And so that pretty much does it for me today. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure that you leave a five-star rating and review, and also make sure that you are subscribed. New episodes come out every week, and I don't want you to miss one. Share with your friend if you feel like that would be encouraging and helpful for them, and keep moving forward. Go love your people well. I'll talk to you next time. Please remember that the content in this episode is not to be considered as medical advice and is only intended as general health information. Thanks so much for listening in today. See you back here next week for another episode of the Health Forward Podcast.